the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, insightful analysis built around your personalized favorite leagues and teams. Download the app, tell them what you like, and you will get an updated, exclusive, ad free list of content every single morning, including a piece that we're going to dive into today by Mike Sando, which is right up our alley. And honestly, I can't believe I didn't think of it. <laughs> so that's coming. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. Here's the agenda for Wednesday, May 19th. A little bit of PGA golf as the next major is upon us. Scott and I are going to make some picks, talk some names, uh, maybe update where the earnings are in terms of the money for this year and all time because there's some interesting I know, discussions to be had about what's coming down the pipeline in terms of some players who have pushed the envelope a little bit this season and last season maybe combined. Then a quick spin down NFL drafting slash fifth-year options. So basically a first-round deep dive with the current NFL teams and maybe how things stand and maybe where things are trending based on the last 10 years of this rookie wage scale in terms of which positions are kind of worth taking in that first round and have longevity in that first round. Uh, really great piece from Mike Sander, which we're going to dive into. And it'd be remiss if <laughs> I didn't touch on Aaron Rodgers just again. I got a different angle this time, so stay with me on this one. So another... Uh, Another discussion point on the Aaron Rodgers saga. And if we have some time, Scott, maybe you can remind me. Uh, I want to dial back up that Major League Baseball hit-by-pitch situation now that it's back in the news again because the numbers are higher. Um, I have more numbers. I have more thorough numbers. And I don't think this is going away. So back into the show, a little bit of baseball, maybe a grind my gears moment there as well. So, Scott, welcome to the show. PGA Championship is here. This is a fun one. It's generally USA-driven. That's how the betting looks as well. I mean, if you want to pick a non-USA golfer this weekend, you're going to get pretty good odds to do so. With that being said, you know, Rory's the favorite coming off his win. Is that correct in your mind? Or is yeah, it just I guess. kind of like a recency bias, you know? Yeah, it's probably more of a recency bias, if anything. All right, so look at this. I'm sure you're looking at the at the list as well. Just which name pops off with decent odds? Because for me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, Morikawa at plus 3,000, I you, think. You is... know I like him. So that, yes. that's, that to me is my, is my underdog pick. But somewhere a little bit less bet, less odds. Jordan Spieth at 18 to 1 on FanDuel right now is, that's my pick. And I'm putting significant money on that because I think that's it, it's the right time for him to do it. He has turned the corner. He does have that win. The monkey off his back. Two wins, in fact. And this would be the grand slam for him. The major's grand slam, which is a big deal. I think he's only, you know, he'd be the sixth player to do that. So it's, I think it's time, don't you? I mean, he's done everything else right this year. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. So do we parlay Morikawa with Spieth in, in terms of maybe a top 10 and then take Spieth separately to win this thing? Yeah, that might be not a bad idea. Yeah. I, I think my my super sleeper is Zalatoris. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, he feels I like the Tommy he, Fleetwood of the past three years, where he had one good flash, 
you recognize him because of the way he kind of looks, and now he's going to fall off the face of the earth. But you're right; he can hit the ball. Yeah, but but I, I did some did some research myself and reading, and a, a lot of a lot of uh, nerdy people that I that I've read and followed have had him as their deep sleeper sure. for getting up there. So look, he wasn't I, afraid. Him up. So he's not going to be afraid of this of this setting. There's no question about it. But you know, forty seven to one. If you think he can get it done. God bless you. Anything else? What are your thoughts on DJ or even Brooks? Because yeah. we, we've talked about it before. Brooks, is he, he likes to show up for these majors. DJ has won, what, two of the last three, but he's he's struggled of late. What are your thoughts on those two? Look, DJ at 18-1, to 1, it, means, it means Vegas thinks he's got a legitimate chance. Because to me, putting him with Spieth, identical to Spieth, that's not an accident. So it's a it's a completely safe bet. He also has two wins this season. You know, he's up there with the Justin Thomases, the Jordan Spees in terms of, of getting it done this year. And certainly Rory's hot. I'm I'm completely fading Brooks Kepka in twenty twenty one. I think he rushed it back. I think he's physically not where he needs to be, and that is his strength. He has to be physically dominating out there. That's just how he operates. He's not a finesse guy. He will be at some point in his career. He's not right now. So I'm off on him in 2021. We'll, we'll talk about him more next year, I'm sure, because he's not going away. But I, I st- he's a stay away from me, as is DeChambeau. He's a stay away for this one. Okay. Yeah. What are, we, what are we looking at in terms of the money this year, Scott? Is it JT? Yeah, JT's at the top at 5.7. DeChambeau is second with 5.69. And then Hovland is at 4.55 right now. Crazy. What about the careers? I mean, what's it going to take to get the Tiger? A miracle? Oh, is it? Yeah. Is this it, like the Wayne Gretzky of hockey stats? Yeah, it is because Tiger is at one hundred twenty point eight million dollars with three hundred and sixty eight events played. If you if you go down to even like DJ, he has seventy one million dollars at it's got more than double two hundred and. 285 events played. I mean, Phil, Phil's not going to catch him. He's played double. He has doubled the events played and is still $30 million away from Tiger. So, and Dustin Johnson's 36, Scott. He's, you know, he's he's on the tail end here. Yeah. So, some of these guys are really going to have to have a run like Tiger had, where you have not just one or two major championships here in yeah. your career you're gonna have to have you're gonna have a string of five six seven high paying so majors this was brooks Kepa's that this was kind of his mo last year remember this was the, the headline that was out there that brooks kind of took off the the smaller tournaments and even if he showed up he kind of tanked them you know it was just basically just a couple of practice rounds for him to get him physically mentally in shape for these majors because that's all he cared about. It's not a terrible approach, right? I mean, you, you make quadruple the amount of money in the majors if you're a top 15er, and this is how you accrue notability, you know, status, sponsorships. It, you know, that's where the big money is, of course, with these players. It It's probably the right approach if you can maintain your, you know, your and sustain on the tour by simply just focusing on that. So I'm not going to knock the guy. I think it's a good business decision. And again, I'm not fading him as a career player, 
I just think right now he's not in the in the right frame of mind to get it done. But based on what you just said, isn't that the right approach for these top golfers to really just focus on six, maybe four to six events a year? Don't you don't you yeah. bet? I, I bet Tiger wishes he did. <laughs> yeah, you you may be right because uh, isn't his the, career the, salvaged from a health standpoint if he slows yeah. it the hell down and LeBron James load manages himself in the in his thirties? Yeah, that that is a great comparison because you're right. The the, the toll on his back, on on his knees, you know, right. maybe having taken you know five or six less tournaments in a in a season. Let's be honest, he makes 120 million a year right now doing nothing. He makes oh, whatever absolutely. he made in golf every year outside of golf. So it's not like he had to bank. It's not like he had to, you know, quantify how many tournaments he played. Now, look, there was a reason he played every tournament he played. Okay. He probably got significant sponsorship money and, and brand bonuses and things like that just for, just for walking in the door. I mean, having his name on the ticket was everything. So I, I get the pressure, but it's not unlike LeBron going to Oak. Oklahoma City on a Wednesday night, you know what I mean, and selling the place out because he's but, on the court. And then when he doesn't play, everybody in the world hates it. It's that's what it was. But you know, LeBron has the ability to say no, and I don't think Tiger really did. Well, that and we're seeing a, a, a shift and change of the player mentality that's and right. health within the last five years. When Tiger was coming through, there was none of that. It was the the Michael Jordan-esque, yeah. I'm playing through the flu. I'm playing through a, 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 the Kobe playing through an Achilles. You know, it was <laughs> that right. era. And those are all where, those are guys all connected together. It's a good call, Scott. So I, I don't think it was even relatively in his mind to even rest. It was, I'm playing no matter what. Whereas now we're in an era where I'm going to, I'm going to slow play this. I'm going to, I'm going to go in and we, LeBron's ankle was a what was a fluke to a certain extent, but we saw him come out of the gate he full bore this year. Yeah. He was it was a, a different mentality for this year as opposed to in the past. But over somewhat the last selfish. Five years, somewhat selfish. It was. But I I agree that, you know, had had the era been slightly different with the mentality, maybe he could have salvaged another year or two. But with that being said, would would we have seen the Tiger that we had seen? Because him him competing every week at the level that yeah. he did, it probably kept him locked in at a longer pace. Meaning more it, focused. More focused every week as opposed to I'm going to do this major. I'm going to take three weeks yeah. off and then come back and get yeah. the rust off. He he was always locked in no matter what. So I wonder, uh, uh, you know, I wonder if you sit down with the Brooks Kepler right now, if his mindset has changed. That would be, that would be, uh, you know, interesting to find out. From, maybe from that standpoint, it's just not sustainable. And look, maybe from an injury standpoint too, you know what I mean? I mean, how, how much, look, it's like a, these baseball players who are pulling hamstrings left and right right now. You know, if you if you're not putting going through the the proper training, the proper workouts, these things are going to happen. So there, it's a it's a routine process, as you mentioned there with Tiger. It's probably a big big part of it. I'm not sure how much physicality in golf. You know, I think it's more of, of just the wear and tear on that back, the torque and the turning uh, that does most of these golfers in, and the knees, of course. But just you know, it sucks that we lost the last ten years of Tiger. It really does. Yeah. 
It does. What to finish off? The only player that could probably relatively be close to catching Tiger would be Rory, from a an, an average per event standpoint. And it, Rory is 32, whereas right. everyone else is high 30s and 40s right now. Tiger averaged over the events played. He averaged three hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars per event played. Rory is at two hundred eighty-seven thousand oh, dollars wow. per event played. And then Jordan Spieth, who is seventeenth in career earnings right now, he's down at two hundred nineteen per event played. And he so basically Rory, took five years off. <laughs> but, right. So I, I think Rory, if he can win some high-paying uh tournaments here he he may have a shot in the back end here well, speed he at 27 win. scott I, i'd almost yeah, lean in that direction especially if he wins this weekend that's going to vault him right back into serious you know discussions about is he the best player in the world and just he, he refound his stroke kind of thing that, that's why i'm all in on him he's got a real real chance to become the focal point of this tour again this yeah. weekend specifically he's already done enough to kind of to kind of you know <laughs> wet our senses a little bit like we're 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 on his radar right now he's done enough this this would be the step the big swing so i'm in give me 18 to 1 on, on justin speed or shorten speed excuse me for sure all right that's enough golf talk you want to talk this baseball stuff out yeah let's do it this was a 6 a.m conversation with cousin dan over coffee and <sighs> I'm sure we went I mean, down we talked about two articles, Kenny Rosenthal and, uh, and a piece on SI as well. Uh, I think a combined piece with some pretty strong data. I had brought this conversation up a couple of weeks back and I tweeted out just how the hit by pitch rate has increased. Um, but I didn't even do it justice. So it is now well over 0.45 per team per game. But oh, wow. look, not only not, not one team plays in a game. Two teams playing a game, which means Correct. that per game, when you're watching a baseball game, nine innings, we are now seeing a clip of 0.91 batters per game getting hit by pitch. So almost one batter a game. It, it is right there. It's right there. And the numbers, you know, you can ask why. We know why. We know why. It, it's it's right in front of our faces. Here's what I did. I did a five-year breakdown of hit batters per game, walks per game, strikeouts per game okay you can guess where this is going in 2017 and and again this is one single team in a game it was 0.36 hit batsman 3.2 walks 8.2 strikeouts okay just just trust me that it gradually increases over the next couple of seasons you know in 2019 it gets the 0.4 hit by pitch 8.7 strikeouts right now in 2021 we're at 0.45 and change. So like I said, over 0.9 per game per two teams. The walks are over 3.3 and the strikeouts are just under nine. We've gone up 0.75 strikeouts per game in a, in a four and a half year span, essentially, which sounds little. It's not little. <laughs> it's not little. More pitchers being used, way more velocity, way more focus on the strikeouts. And now we have this. Now we have a fear factor. Now we have guys going up to play. Scott, I watched the Mets game. I'm sure you saw the highlight. I saw it live. I could. I had to turn the freaking TV off. I saw Kevin Pillar taking 94 and a half mile per hour fastball off of his nose. Dead eye, dead aim, straight mm-hmm. fastball off his nose. Yeah. He went straight to the ground and the blood pooled all over the dirt. 
look, it's fluky, it's freaky, but it's happening way too much now. Corey Seager's out for six weeks. Corey Seager needs a contract. He's on the contending team. It's all terrible news, whether you like the Dodgers or not. It's terrible news for that guy who should have a $300 million contract in the next couple of months. And now this is going to stunt his ability to do that. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an epidemic. It's a problem. And you got pitchers coming into the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning who that's all they do. And they and their 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 warm-up, Scott, is give me the ball. I'm throwing 14, 15 fastballs as hard as I can throw it in the bullpen. And then I'm gonna come out to some warm-up music and I'm gonna gas you 20, 20 fastballs and maybe a couple of change-ups and maybe a slider. But it's 95 plus. That's what those guys are being paid to do. And those aren't the pitchers. Those aren't the pitchers you grow up watching. Those aren't the pitchers that you try to emulate. Those are throwers. Those are throwers. I watched a, an unnamed, I'm not going to name names. I watched a pitcher last night for the Braves against the Mets who came set, nobody on base, right? So he's out of the stretch because that's what relief pitchers do. He's staring at first base the whole time. There's nobody on first base. He's staring at first base. He gives this ridiculous leg kick. He doesn't look home until his arm is up. Oh, man. Which means I don't even care where it's going. I'm just getting right. there as hard as possible. He is your meathead gym rat guy that just give me a baseball. Baseball is easy. Here's what. Watch me. This is what we do. Th- this is what we've come down to. This is what matters in the eighth inning to most teams. It's BS. And it is. batters are standing in there. And you can't tell me. I get it. They're pros. I get it. They do this for a living. And I get it that it's, you know. Look, it's not the majority that are getting hit, but it is a growing minority. And there's no question it's in the back of some of these hitters' minds. And if you have been hit, it's like my six-year-old daughter who got bit by a dog at age three. Guess what? She still hates dogs. Okay? (laughs) That stuff stays with you. It stays with you. And if you've been hit, and if you've been hit like Kevin Pillar, who the hell knows how Kevin Pillar is going to play for the rest of his career after this? Mm -hmm. You know? Not everybody's built for this. So you got a guy standing in there who it's in the back of his mind. You know, what if this guy's, you know, the first pitch goes four feet outside. Well, where's the next one going? You know, two feet inside. It's, it's, it's not good. And Kenny Rosenthal made a great point that cousin Dan brought up this morning to me. Why don't we just make the penalty stronger? You get the second base. Yes. That's what he said. Okay. Let's stop making it a walk. And let's start making these put putting these guys in the scoring position. Yeah, okay? absolutely. And now the pitcher's thinking, God, I can't even come close. It's going to stop the inside pitching, which is a shame because good pitchers like like to you know break bats inside. But at least it would put it in their head: I got to be more controlled here because if I'm out of control, you know, runner on second, no outs. Now I'm in trouble. I, I love the idea of it. And guess what? Theo Epstein is the perfect guy to get this done. You and I yes, heard, he heard an, hour, an hour of him talking. He's very measured. He's very on par with what has to happen. If he heard the same thing I heard with this, I think he's all in. It's perfect. Have you seen any stats that split it versus starting pitchers that have thrown hit by pitches versus relief pitchers only? I like, have it. 
I'm just curious to know if if the split is it's very heavy on the late innings where it's just relief pitchers or is it uh, an even split that it doesn't really matter. I I pulled up a list of hit by pitches and uh, for the leaders of who's been hit by pitch. And it's some well-known names at the top of the list. I mean, you've got Jackie Bradley Jr. has been six. Yeah. Uh, Kana Mark Kana has nine. nine already. Nine. Yeah, nine. In, in six weeks. You've got Wilson Contreras. Abreu has five. Contreras had six. You've got, I mean, big names. Albert Pujols. Yeah. Mookie Betts at four. Real Muto at four. And, and there's a slew of fours. But I, I ran the metric just to see, is there a comparison of who's being hit by pitch versus their their payroll? I wanted to see if it was a lot of high payroll guys that were getting hit or not. Yeah. And it, it, it's a mix. It, there's some middle of the road. There are some. Yeah, they're not gunning for the superstars, if that's what you're asking. No, no. And that's what I was wondering. I was curious to see from a financial standpoint, are they gunning for these superstars or not? And it, it, it isn't. So, well, let me, let me throw this at you, Scott, while you're diving into the numbers. The SI piece breaks down which pitcher batter matchups are more likely to be to, to result in a hit by pitch. And as you might imagine, it's same, it's, it's same arm, same bat. So lefty, mm-hmm. lefty, righty, righty. So you're yeah. coming across the backside of a batter and you just don't get it across the plate enough. It, it, it falls short. Um, as you might imagine, fastballs versus non-fastballs, it's 3.5% are, are fastballs or, or versus non-fastballs. There's just a lot, you know. And, and oh, by the way, they measured where players are getting hit. In terms of how high up, and of course with fastballs, it's almost three and a half feet up, which is of course Pilar, which was almost four feet, you know, yep. for six feet, excuse me. So that's a problem. More fastballs means means more height in the ball, means more speed in the ball, means less time to get away from the ball, means more damaging hit by pitches. Uh, your point about w- which pitchers are doing it more, starters versus relievers, it's a great question. Uh, probably worth looking into. Here's the last point the SI piece makes, and it's very, very smart. And it's a, it's a conversation we've had with other sports. These batters go up there, and they've got a shin guard, and they've got a helmet with a flap, and they've got a wrist guard and an elbow guard, and they've mm-hmm. got armor. And that's what yes. this piece says. And these guys feel a little bit of invincibility because, hey, if I get hit here, it's no longer going to break my wrist anymore because I've got it here. Except, you know, the last six weeks of Mets games I've watched, I've seen back shoulders, back elbows, back knees, right? Yeah. It's just not, it's, it's not, it's not how it's happening. You know, the, the, the armor's there, but it is fluky if you get hit in, in, in those guards, in those spots. It's, so it's a, it's a sense of false confidence, uh, similar to the NFL helmet conversation. Guys got all guarded up. They, just, they said, I can tackle a guy any way I want because I'm completely covered. And uh, look what happened. We we had we had an injury problem. So there's a lot to it, and I'm not saying this is common to the point of where the the game should be stopped. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not yelling the sky is falling here, but it is a tough sport to market already. And if it's gonna if this is gonna be the reason that superstars are sitting on the sideline for two months, the game needs to change it. That's all. Theo Epstein needs to change it. And I think he will. And I think Kenny Rosenthal is really onto something there. Yeah. I, I, 
I would like to see the conversation come up more of making the penalty worse if you get hit by pitch, like you like you mentioned. Whether it's do you find them you, too, like yellow cards in soccer? Do you just start finding people? Don't care if it's accidental, or, or not even find them. Why not a yellow card situation where first offense? All right, there's your warning. You hit someone again, you're out one game. Yeah, well, that you're that, that actually generally happens. Um, you know, it's not, it's not that these pitchers no, going it, out there and hitting more than one batter per, per, per game, generally speaking, it's that we've got six pitchers per team per game and two of them are hitting somebody. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think fining is going to necessarily be a deterrent because some of the guys that, you know, may, maybe some that are making minimum, but you know, I feel a fine is going to be just a slap on the wrist for how much compared to what you and I make that they're making is just a slap on the wrist. So I think there has to be a, a, it's hard with pitchers because, you know, especially relief pitchers, if you say you're suspended for one game, well, they may not have played the next game anyways, because they threw yeah. uh, their, their innings or, or batters faced and they're not going to pitch that next game anyways so but it, it gets it isn't so much standpoint. about really punishing these guys scott because honest to god these are accidental for the most part i mean i'd, I'd say 90 percent of these are completely accidental and i don't want to take away but, from that but you just want to have it in the back of their mind that there's some kind of consequence to them outside of the fact that the guy you just pegged is probably going to be out for a month they don't care about that you know but is it accidental i think that's a fine line because if if the rate of hit by pitches has gone up. Yeah. The the common denominator there is the pitcher. So like you talked about the last few weeks. Oh, it's how they're pitching. The, yes. It's how they're pitching the speed and they they have a lack of control over the ball. That's so right. there is there is to a certain extent a something that the pitcher themselves can do to help reduce those hit by pitches. So I don't want to necessarily call them accidental to a certain extent That's because fair. they you know what they I'm saying, do though. have I do, but they have control over where that pitch goes. And if they're reckless with not looking at home plate to throw the ball and, and they're just throwing it to throw it, then that's on the pitcher. You can't, you can't call that accidental because they, there was something that they, that led up to that point that they could have done to mitigate that hit by Look, pitch. It's not unlike this NFL conversation. If you think about it, you know, safety's coming up and popping running backs head down, full out dive. That's out of the game now. That's out of the game. So why can't the just rear back and fire fastball start to become out of the game? It's got to be a measured, calculated pitch. And having consequences will start to start to alleviate that, in my opinion. Whether they're significant or not, just start to get the idea in these pitchers' minds. And yes, a guy making a minimum, if you pop him for, for $2,500 every hit by pitch, that's going to start to add up. Because there's yeah, volume right. here. <laughs> I mean, there's volume. So um, I, I just think all these little things, I know they sound petty and we're kind of sound like old guy in the rocking chair on the porch right now. But when it happens to the guy on your team that you follow, you're going to be as pissed off as we are. You will be. Oh, yeah. Well, these, you have, these are the guys already. Seeger, Votto, Harper, Trout, Betts, Acuna, Otani. They've all missed games because of hit batsmen this year. All of them. Yeah. And those are guys that you're going you or your son or your daughter or going to want to go to watch. Baseball, baseball needs is trying to promote these guys. Yes, and, and if this is a problem against that, 
Yeah. If the, and if they're not on the field, say say that happened, and you know you've got a your Sunday night baseball on ESPN, and those yep. marquee players aren't there. That those are eyeballs that are oh that guy's not playing today. I'm not going to watch because that's who I was going to Correct. try to catch catch throwing the ball or hitting the ball or whatever it may be. You know, I I think as a as a whole, baseball has a a overall pitching problem. Not, notwithstanding of this hit by pitch. You mean the the five no hitters in six weeks? Is that a problem? (laughs) That that is where I was going. There, there, the the rate of um, I heard a stat last week. I forget who I was listening to, but they brought up the stat of no hitters, and there was like ten no hitters or whatever in the first half of the decade or something, and then there there's an astronomical more (laughs) no hitters now through where we're at and you know overall and we've been talking about this for the last few weeks with baseball that something is going to have to give because yes it's it's awesome to see the no hitter but at what point does having these no hitters which means there's no per no people on base, which means there's no people scoring runs, which means there's a lack of movement on the field. Yep. You know, to the Joe Schmo that is going to want to watch a game that that, that that's going to turn uh, turn heads off. And this happened in the NHL. You know, they they had a lack of goal scoring, so they had to do something. They reduced the goalie pads. They made the goal size bigger. Yeah. You know, they did something to make more scoring. I think we're at a point where Theo Epstein and, and baseball is really going to have to figure out something, not for five years from now. They need to figure this out immediately, whether it's next season with the new CBA, something is going to have to change. Do you think to, they're just going to move the mound back and say it's going to fix everything all at once? I'm scared for that one. I'm scared for I the injuries. Too, I'm scared for the pitcher I, injuries that come from I, that. I, I'm scared for that, and I'm scared if they lower the mound. No, they we, definitely won't do that. I think Theo was pretty against that right out of the gate here, I, but it does well, sound like he's right. strongly considering moving back. Yeah. I, I, I like the conversation of starting a, a player on second base if you get hit by a pitch. I think that would help because it would mentally – force pitchers and uh-huh. uh, scheme to, all right, we have to change the way we're going to do this because now we're in a situation where we're in extra innings where we're starting with a guy on second base. Yeah. Uh, so I just think as a whole, the conversation that I keep seeing and hearing over and over, and it just keeps getting worse and worse is it all comes back to the pitching. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough time for it. All right, we're going to move on to some NFL draft stuff. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Scott, when is the NBA draft? Oh, you caught me off guard here. Um, Do they change it? it? Usually it's like mid, mid-June, right? It, well, it, it's usually June 20th, 22nd, 21st, somewhere in there. It has been moved back to July 29th right now. After free agency? 
Uh, no, free agency is August 1st. Ah. Well, August August 2nd, technically at 6 p.m. But the, the NBA draft lottery is on June 22nd. The draft is the 29th. And then it's a very quick turnaround, um, less than it usually is, where August 2nd is... Uh, where free agent no- negotiations can actually begin at that 6 p.m. Right. mark. Well, if you're a prospective NBA athlete or know somebody or, or have that kind of striving to, to, in the next couple of years, this is the kind of information you're going to need in terms of how to manage your financial situation or how to get yourself the finances you need to even get yourself on track for that kind of situation uh, in terms of loans and, and training money and things like that. There's a lot to it. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre- and post-draft loan program at ms.com slash GSE. That's ms.com slash GSE. Scott, there's a piece from Mike Sando on The Athletic, great NFL writer, that basically breaks down team by team over the past 10 years how fifth-year options have gone. I'm going to scroll all the way down to the bottom and blow your mind. (laughs) Okay. Guess how many fifth-year options the Seattle Seahawks have exercised since 2011. Uh, I'm a, I spoil it, but zero. Zero. That's crazy. Zero. That is, wow. <laughs> zero. Um, it does look like the last couple of picks they've made are going to work out in LJ Collier and Jordan Brooks, but there's, you know, time will tell. But four straight first round picks. But this is a two part piece. So, yes. They've missed on first round picks. Be, you know, they're also picking 15 or later every time they've been contenders, Correct. of course. So that's part of the conversation. But then the other side of this piece, which is a great piece, I'll tweet it out, of course, is teams that have been contenders, teams that are drafting late in the first round. The ones that get out and maybe not even just move back, but make significant trades to get rid of these first round picks for players. Seattle, of course, being one of them, with Jamal Adams and the Jets, that's worked out gangbusters. So, okay, we suck at we suck at drafting 30th or 25th. So let's just go get a guy. Let's go get a guy that that somebody doesn't need or can't keep or can't pay that we know is going to help us right now 100%. It's going to be a 100% hit versus we suck at drafting 27th in the first round. It's brilliant. The Bills have done it with Stefan Diggs. The Chiefs have done it with Frank Clark. And now this year with uh, Orlando Brown. The Seahawks have done it. All the good teams have done this of late. It's just the way to go. And I think it's brilliant. And I can't believe the Patriots haven't done this more. Why are we sitting here talking about how bad of a drafter of drafters they are? When they could have just gone this route, they do all the other, they do the hard trades. They do, they make all the small trades that pack, you know, you know, that work out. Is it because they don't want to acquire a player that that costs them a hundred million dollars? Is that what they're just don't operate that way? Because that's of course, what's going to happen with Diggs here and with Jamal Adams. And and of course, with Orlando Brown in a couple of weeks here and already has happened with Frank Clark, you know, maybe the Patriots just don't see themselves as trade for extension, extension players. You know, they want, the Brandon Cooks, who's a one and done. They want the Randy Moss, who's a two years and out. They want those kind of players in, maybe just castaways that they can make the most of and then get rid of. I wonder if that mindset starts to change in this new Patriots era now that they've spent big in free agency. Maybe next year, you know, if Mac Jones hits, 
they can start to become big time trade getters and, and power play, you know, trade. And look, they may still be doing this. I'm, I've got a piece coming, a big piece. Hopefully by the end of the week, that'll be the uh, the criteria for our next pod here, Scott. That's going to be extension candidates and trade candidates. Legitimate now. Now that the draft is done, UDFAs are signed, all that good stuff. Stefan Gilmore is one of the big names on this list. And I, I still don't think he's going to be on this Patriots team. I don't. Not at $7.5 million. Okay. So is that plus a first-round pick going to pull back Julio Jones, for instance? Is that a move that they're going to make? Because they think that they have a roster that can legitimately compete, but they're one weapon away. It's out there. So maybe the Patriots are about to become this kind of team. But Mike Sandoz's piece here kind of identifies the fact that, that the teams that have pushed their way to the top have made this kind of move. And it's not so much about hitting on, on the 24th pick in the, in the first round, but it's getting rid of that pick for a legitimate star player in a position of need. It's brilliant stuff. And you and I have talked about how important the trade has been and has been increasingly becoming in this league specifically after seeing just, you know, a full decade of NBA, the NBA moving superstars and maybe to have to a fault at some degree, but it's also, it's also worked, you know, you know, LeBron getting AD works, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard They haven't got to the finish line, but it's worked. I mean, it's made the Clippers more than relevant. Russell Westbrook with Bradley Beal has worked. I mean, they went from bottom of the, of the league to playoff contention. It's so, and we, and of course, Stefan Diggs, that was the piece that put the bills to the, to the next level. Many people believe, I, I think we're going to see the same with Orlando Brown on the chiefs. Why wouldn't that be the piece that really becomes a trend setting offensive line move for that chiefs organization over the next four to five years? It, it's uh, it's really smart stuff. But how about the second worst team in fifth-year option hits? How can this team be second when they've had so many first-round picks? How do you miss on this many, Scott? Jacksonville Jaguars, 25% of their first-round picks have had a fifth-year option extended. And, And here's the two players, Blake Bortles, which turned into a three-year extension that was done in six months and who's basically out of the league now, and Jalen Ramsey, who's cashing in with the Rams because they were forced to move on from him. That's the two first-round picks that essentially have worked out over the decade of first-round picks for the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. How, how do you justify that? Just bad, just bad management? Yeah. Bad luck? No. I, I don't think it's you, too much. When, when, right? you're, when you have out from 2011 all the way to 2017, you're picking every pick is in the top 10. And then 2018 is the 29th pick. No, th- that is not dumb luck when <laughs> you had a, a, a fourth, a fifth, a third, a third, a second, a fifth. Those are guys that are supposed to be able to hit on and be franchise changing yeah. players. And the fact that you You're right, not, Scott. These are top you five. Only picks. Hit on two of those You're right, man. Yeah. And and look, let's let's draw the conversation into the Browns, who are net who are thirtieth on this list at thirty two percent. Scott, the Browns went three, six, nine straight years of declining a fifth year option. Nine. Sorry, it's eight, it's it's seven years, two actually it's six years. Three times in that span, they had two first-round picks. Everybody. I'm going to give you the names. 
Phil Taylor, Brandon Whedon, Trent Richardson, Barcavius Mingo, Johnny Manziel, Justin Gilbert, Cam Irving, Danny Shelton, and Corey Coleman. You can you can understand them declining those fifth year options. Yes. Nine in a row. It's gone well since David That's Njoku, what? Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, of course. Um, regime change finally figured it out. Maybe a maybe a yes. different focus. Uh, you know, they stopped drafting wide receivers and running backs in the first round. That, I, that's, that's, that's fix number one. First of all, um, they stopped drafting 32 year old quarterbacks in the first round. That's fix number two. This is a very interesting piece. Very interesting. I mean, this is data heavy. Like I said, at the top of the show, I'm pissed off. I didn't think of this. This should have been yeah, a homework assignment for you right here. I, I, I feel the same way because this is <laughs> stuff that we track. I mean, we have yeah. a fifth year option, uh, section on the draft and you yeah, know, we can automate is... the hit rates essentially. And, yeah. uh, but it, just it, being it able to me... see it this thorough, I mean, Mike did a great job here, breaking everything down word for word. Um, so let's move to the top of the list. I mean, who's hit, who's hit on these fifth year options. And uh, you know, this, this, by the way, doesn't translate to immediate success. For instance, chargers, hundred <laughs> percent, Texans, hundred percent, Carolina Panthers, 88%. I don't think anybody's going to say that those three teams have been the uh, the slayers of the league over the past nine to ten seasons, not by any means. But I think you can look at the Chargers and say, "All right, it's probably time," you know, because you add in eight straight first round, fifth year option exercises, and now the quarterback, and now the offensive line that they've acquired slash signed this past season. You you'd be. I don't think you'd be foolish to throw a couple hundos on the Chargers this year because at some point in time over the next two years, they're probably going to figure it out. Now, they're in an unbelievable division. And if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Denver Broncos, look out. I mean, that is just must-see every week, that division. But they've done a lot of things right. And they just had a huge change in GM and coach and everything. So this wasn't enough. They're 100% on their first year's and their first rounders, and it wasn't enough to get it done because of injuries and, and whatnot. You know, coaching, I think, was a lot last year, but they're certainly on the path, right? Yeah, but I also think, you know, with some of these top teams, the, if they are 100%, that doesn't necessarily mean that the regime did the right thing in exercising those options either. Well, you know, let, I me, get, let me push this be- back to you, Scott. It also means that these players weren't extended after year three. <laughs> which means they weren't superstars three years into their rookie contract. You know what I mean? I mean, Joey Bosa, yes, he's an outlier here. But half these guys aren't even on the team anymore. Yeah, They're not even on the Chargers anymore. So it's convoluted in that regard as well. But you're right, Scott. It is a very linear, singular conversation we're having here. But you have to have the whole – you have to read the whole story. For instance, Houston (laughs) – oh, my God. Here's Houston's first-round picks that have been exercised. J.J. Watt, gone. DeAndre Hopkins, gone. Jadavian Clowney, gone. Kevin Johnson, long gone. Will Fuller, gone. Deshaun Watson, TBD. Whitney Merciless, or Merciless, a good player, still there. Yikes. How do you even have this conversation? Yeah, exactly. You almost need, in this, in this article, you almost need a fifth column of Where, some status. other. Yeah, active status. Yes. <laughs> whether they're on the team or not, or were they extended or yeah. what has happened since then? Now, JJ Watt, be, that's 2011. That's so far ago at this point 
that I, I think that would be. Isn't it? Isn't these are first rounders? That's the number eleven pick. I think in normal circumstances he's still on this team. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean we, I mean that that's ten years with with the Texans. I mean yeah. when the average rate of years of experience is what three. Yeah. So I think I think in that case that would be a success. The fact that you know you you. If you're exercising these options and then they're gone in year four or year five after the point, and then that's a different conversation. I know it's a fine line. We've gone down this road of uh, trying to put value on uh-huh. if if it's a success or not. Positionally, too. But it's tough. It, it is, very. But I think the conversation is just because a team has – you know, a 85 and above percent does not necessarily mean that they did stellar with exercising these options. It may have been players that shouldn't have gotten exercised the option uh-huh. and ended up being a bust in the end. And so I think with the, those percentages, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt to a certain extent. Yeah. There's no question about it. Um, also, and I, I know Mike makes this point as well, you know, good to track this data now because I think it's going to change drastically over the next five to 10 years because of the change of the fifth year options. Mm-hmm. A, they're going to become more expensive in some cases in terms of Pro Bowls and playing time. And B, they're fully guaranteed the second you say yes. And I think that's going to change a lot of minds on some of these middling players. You're going to see a lot more no's than yeses because it's just, I'd rather not have that locked in and if we love you, we'll pay you when it's when, you know sometime in the next eighteen months anyway. But I, I, I don't want to lock ourselves into X dollars right now, May third of you know a year and a half before it's got to happen. So I think we're going to see a lot less. The percentages are going to drop, but I hope the percentages maybe even out with some of these teams where they're saying no to fifth year options or they're just trading these picks, uh, you know, outright up front. You know, why would the Bills keep a first round pick in the coming years if what they're identifying is a second wide receiver or a first tight end or, you know, understand what I'm saying? Something they're I not going to use a first round pick on anyway. So, are you, gonna, you know, for instance, this year, and Sando mentions it, they, they used their first round pick late in the 20s, or I think it was pick 30, actually, on a project edge rusher. And to Sando's point, 20 and later, edge rushers have been trash. In the first round, they have been exactly what I just said projects and half the time they work out and it's like 50% hit rate. So the bills knew what they were getting, but why not just convert that into another player? (laughs) You know what I mean? Why not move on from it? And I hope that that's the conversation more of these GMs start to have is look, we all have this list of trade candidates that, you know, myself and other sites and and certainly the GMs are putting together December, January, like who's going to be on the block come February when teams are starting to really think about the next league year. Are any of these players worth our consideration of giving up a couple of picks, even if it's a first round pick? I want this to be a more thorough conversation because I think that's, it's the easier way to success. It's cheaper. You know, it's, it's going to be cheaper. And I think there's a real push for it right now. And I think the Ravens have been on this track, certainly the chiefs, and we're starting to see some of these better teams really come around to it. So hopefully it gets done. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to understate that Chiefs trade 
because they're huge. in a win now situation, huge. and it is huge. And they had already paid knew- in free agency for linemen. This was after the right. fact. This was we're doing this and that. <laughs> right. They are, they are making sure that they have depth. They know that they are going to potentially be. Uh, 25 and lower in the first round for the next foreseeable future. So we're going to do this now and we're going to take the chance knowing that who we have as the quarterback, who our weapons are, we're going to protect them. And I I give them kudos because we've talked about this with the trades team. More teams need to do this. They need to take a chance. You have they always talk about, oh, we need to scout these college players and we don't have enough film because of the pandemic and X, Y, and Z. You have th- two or three years of film on a lot of these NFL players that are fringe players on certain teams. And if you feel that that is a a, a one in a hundred fill on your team, that you need that niche you got to take that chance. We've seen it with other teams like the Rams. They'll take a chance. Yeah. I think more teams, especially those that get deep into the playoffs, we saw it with the Buffalo Bills. They saw the need for the wide receiver, went and got digs, and look at what happened. More teams need to take this chance, and more teams need to realize that they need to give up these players in order to potentially, even if it is a player that is on the team that they're going to flip back and get some picks for, at least you're getting something where you could potentially upgrade a weakness in a position outside of just waiting one full well, that's year, the other part of six it. months. If you've got, draft. if you've got two holes to fill and you're drafting 28th, it is going to be, look, it's, it, it's, it's a chance. It's a game of risk sitting there at, you know, with pick 28 waiting for the four hours of Thursday night to get to you versus let's just go get a tight end. <laughs> exactly. Let's just go get one. Let's just go find poach one off a roster, overpay a little bit to get him on our roster. We'll handle the financials after that. I, I just think it is we have a need. We're gonna fill it. We, we we have a direct line to fill it. Let's do it. Let's not, you know, hedge our bets that we something's gonna fall in our lap, pick twenty eight. Now you need that to happen every now and then. I'm not I'm not completely discounting that, but the the numbers don't lie. This is ten years of data. If you're in the 20s or the 30s in the first round, the odds are against you unless you're taking a tackle or some, you know, a quarterback that's that's sitting there that maybe fell. Those are where the numbers kind of stay in your favor. Outside of that, it, it, you know, and again, I, I, I don't want to understate this. The fact that you're hitting on fifth-year option exercises isn't all good. <laughs> that's that's not a good sign because it it means, like I said, those players have not been extended yet. It means you have dragged this along for one reason or another, and you don't feel that they're worth a multi-year extension yet. So to some degree, you know, it's not always the writings on the wall, but you know, this piece specifically gives you a snapshot to who has drafted. Well, for instance, the saints, they're underrated. The Falcons, they're way underrated, way underrated. This is a bad team that has been kind of kept alive by like eight good years of drafting in the first round. And I don't want to, I don't give them enough credit for it, to be honest, because I think obviously what they did this year is going to be a, a huge move forward as well in Kyle Pitts. So it's, you know, it, it's a good way to look at teams differently, if nothing less. But again, read this piece thoroughly, take what you want from it, but but keep it in context. You know, look at the names that are that are with these teams right now, and, and where are they now? 
is the takeaway. Where are these players now? Because if you're not getting longevity out of the first round picks, was it even that much worth it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Any basketball to bring up, Scott? I have to go down Aaron Rodgers here a little bit. So I'm trying to break um, it up. <laughs> well, like, like we mentioned, August 1st is... Um, I'm talking about the playoffs, man. We had the oh, playing games last night. I have, well, a que- I have a question for you. We have we talk finances, so I know when a lot of these qualifying offers or player options that we've talked about, we okay. know when those deadlines are going to be. We'll have an so, off-season combo soon. Don't worry. I have This yeah. is my question for you. I, you're okay. not, not going to have an answer. Jason Tatum puts up 50 last night. <laughs> Where in the stat books does that go? <laughs> exactly. It's not a regular season game. It's not a playoff game. Is basketball it, reference going to have to make a new table for play-in statistics? That's the first thing I thought of when I saw him go 50. And it, and it may be the only year because after they realized, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So, some of the media that I listen to, they are treating the play-ins as the but it, playoffs. But it's wrong. They're, they're sick. The but NBA's is language is NBA specific. Says, it is specific. Yes. And it is a transition period. I, I feel that come next this time next year, it's either going to be considered round one, extra regular. It's going to be round one. It's going to be round one. Yeah, it's going to be a round one. Um, because they they're going to want to put it in as the playoff, but I think they want to see right. how the ratings are, and if the ratings measure up to a playoff game, then they're just going to call it a playoff game because they can sell it advertising wise as a playoff game. Now tonight at ten tonight does. at ten p.m. Eastern, the ratings are going to be extremely high, even even though it's ten p.m. Eastern, Golden State, you know, Los Angeles. So that's going to skew things a bit, but I think that's what they're waiting for. They want to see how this goes from a ratings perspective. So that they can then go to, you know, Bud Light and say, hey, hey, you know, how about extending your sponsorship with us through this first round? We're going to call it the play in round, but it's going to be a part of the playoff package. And then everybody's going to be happy. The money will be there. But from the NBA standpoint, this is exactly what you wanted to happen, though. Oh, yeah. Because if you ended up with Memphis, San Antonio, New Orleans, and another team, this is exactly the marquee matchup that you want for this first time play-in because this is going to sell the play-in for the foreseeable future. And you're right. They're going to call it round one just as the first, uh, what? The the, the last four in. Yeah. The last four in. Yeah. The last four in for the NCAA tournament. They call that round one now. And then it's round two from there. It's going to be a similar situation but Jason Tatum's 50 is just lost in translation. It doesn't account for his, his all NBA status. It not It means nothing to nothing, right? It means nothing to nothing. Oh. I think what, I think what may end up happening is because it's going to be potentially be a anomaly for one year. It may just get punted into the playoff conversation and count it as playoff yeah, stats. I hope so. It was a hell of a performance. Last question before we move on to Aaron Rodgers here, Russell Westbrook hurt. Russell Westbrook sick. Russell Westbrook avoiding the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I've heard all of those conversations this morning. I think it's all three. I think he tweaked his ankle. I think he's under the weather. And I think he's absolutely conscious of the fact that even though they played him all in the regular season, from what I remember, that that's a terrible matchup and that they are better off going up guards against Embiid right now. I agree. I agree with all those statements. But 
having seen what the Indiana Pacers did to <laughs> Charlotte last night, you know, Washington's going to have to show up and, and then some. I'd put my money and, on the Wizards, Scott. Oh, I don't, I I don't would, bet for a second the Pacers can do that again. I, I, I would put my money on the Wizards as well. Yeah. All right, you ready for this Roger stuff? I know you're probably sick of it too, but it, uh, here's how I want to discuss this. Well, I'm interested to hear your new take. Yeah, it's not really that new or, or just a different angle. <laughs> I mean, it's... Different angle. Well, the, the thing I can't get away from, and I, I mentioned it the last time I brought it up a couple of, couple of shows ago, is that he's 36 years old. Okay. And I, I know, I know, you know, we're talking LeBron, we're talking Brady. I, I get it. Everybody's playing longer, and he was an MVP last year. I get it. I'm not trying to push him away. But there's two things hanging out there. A is age, and B, Jordan Love was drafted last year. And that is the singular problem here. Okay, it's not contract. It's not they suck at drafting. They don't. They don't. They find diamonds in the second round. That's that's good drafting. They have changed their coach. They have changed their GM. They've they've already played ball organizationally with Aaron Rodgers for a very long time. But they did draft Jordan Love. And it has been sour ever since. And to me, that is the only reason we're having this conversation right now is Jordan Love. So, A, that's why he's pissed. And B, it's the plan for the Packers. Okay? This is a one-year plan. It is. And you can say, yes, they offered him an extension. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The plan for Green Bay is 2021 with Aaron Rodgers. The foreseeable future is, is not, it's non-existent to them right now. And even if they're going to extend Aaron Rodgers, and, and the conversation I want to have real quick here is guaranteed money, which I think can solve 2021. That's all that matters. Even if they guarantee him $75 million, Scott, and, and disclaimer, nothing of what I'm going to say here is going to have any reference to, to the average annual value. It should matter so little to this conversation, okay, with a 36-year-old quarterback. Can we stop saying that he's got to be $46 million higher than Patrick Mahomes? First of all, that's ludicrous at this age. It's ludicrous from a team standpoint and from his standpoint. Why would you do that to, to the team around you? Why would you even consider doing that? Do you know how hard it is to keep cap friendly at 36 years old with $46 million a year? It's not feasible in the current cap right now. It's not feasible. So throw it away, the average annual value. Just guarantee this guy some money over the next couple of seasons, and you'd say, why would Green Bay do that? Because it's base salary guarantee. So when they trade him next February, and they will, that's another team's problem to deal with. So you're, right. you're setting Aaron Rodgers for cash in hand, whether it's with Green Bay or whether, whether it's with Denver next year. Who cares? Who cares? Make him happy right now. Fix the problem in 2021. That was always the plan. Now that I'm reading the tea leaves, that's always been the plan. We're going to get through the 21 season. We're going to move on gracefully. We've already got our guy who's been being groomed behind the scenes in Jordan Love. We're going to hope he's ready in 2022, and this franchise is going to move forward. Great. Except for Rodgers is pissed that his replacement is sitting next to him on the bus. He's pissed. That's the GM problem. That's it. Okay. So he's, he's got $48 million in change this year and next year in terms of cash on his current contract. Just fully guarantee it. Just fully get, Don't turn it to bonus. Just fully guarantee it. And if you want to move some of that around so that maybe next year's salary is a 
March roster bonus, similar to what he had this year, maybe 12 to $15 million of next year's salary becomes a March 20th roster bonus. Again, not Green Bay's problem. It's going to be, we're going to trade him February 20th, like Matthew Stafford got moved. And he's going to be Denver's, that's going to be Denver's roster bonus to take care of. But he gets some cash in hand next March. Happy, happy Aaron Rodgers. That's all I got to do. Finagle this contract, make him happy for 12 months, okay? So that you can compete again in the NFC, which you will, because you have, because that roster is intact. You've, you've done, I, I think Green Bay has done plenty to satisfy the current roster and at least put them in contention. But it is ludicrous, first of all, to think $46 million a year. Ludicrous. I don't care how flexible the cap is. It's not that flexible. It's not. Okay? The reason Patrick Mahomes went 13 years is because he needed flexibility with his cap over the next three years. And, and they got it done. That's not going to happen. You're not going to extend Aaron Rodgers to eight years in order to move no. cap around properly. It's not going to happen. Um, and they're not going to give him a $75 million signing bonus either. That's not going to happen. You know, they paid him $90 million in year one on his last contract. Do you remember this? It was like three separate payments. It was a roster bonus, a signing bonus. Yeah. A this guy got massively paid. All right. He, he has all the money he needs from the Green Bay slash State Farm. I promise. He's good to go. It has got to be. You can't be bitching about the GM and the roster management and then also take an historic contract that is going to further pigeonhole their ability to manage the roster. That's why none of this makes sense to me. It never has. That's why this has got to be what's going on. Jordan Love pissed him off. It still pissed him off. He knows that he's one year and done here in Green Bay, and he doesn't like it. So he'd rather get out now and start his next chapter early. Yes. Green Bay is going to say no to it. They're going to say no to it. Even if you offer Drew Locke two firsts, a mid-round pick, Bradley Chubb, whatever. You've seen all of them out there. They're out there. Yes, I have. And Denver yep. does have the weapons to do this. They do. They can get it done, whether it's Bridgewater or Locke and first and whatever. They don't want that. They want Aaron Rodgers for 2021 and Jordan Love in 2022. That's what they want. And they want Devontae Adams to be on board, and they'll pay him the $25 million a year contract so that he can facilitate Jordan Love becoming the, car, the QB1 in Green Bay for the next few years. That's what they want. And that's what they should stick to. They've done nothing wrong. Draft, dra drafting Jordan Love was dangerous because of this, but not, it wasn't reckless if this was always the plan. It's a little reckless now knowing that Aaron Rodgers can still play at an MVP level and you probably could have had him for four more years. But, you know, father time's against him. Don't you agree? Like, I, well, he's one injury away. He's yes. one injury away from never getting back to that level ever. So, and, and, and to Rogers' standpoint, I can understand. I want to get out now knowing that I, I am not the plan for 2022. But he's got so a better chance to win on this Packers ro roster, Scott. And why can't that just be what does. matters? Just take your $25 million this year and, and go try to win the NFC. Why can't that matter most? Why does it have to be about his legacy, which is all this is? Yeah, legacy, ego. Uh, I mean... It has to be. He, he, he can't sit in a room with Jordan Love knowing he's the guy that's going to replace him. That, that's what this all comes down to. Yeah, he feels like he's in a lame duck situation knowing I... I and he is. I'm Guess what, dude? You're old, man. This stuff happens. It happens in normal jobs, too. They hire some kid out of college to replace you. He sits next to you for a couple of years and learns the ropes, and then you get pushed out into, into welfare. That's, that's what happens. That's life. 
Okay, whether yep, you're uh, you know a, an IT guy or the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, it's life. But just let things play out and go win, go win. Yeah, because if they go and they win, and he you say they win, the then Super they Bowl. look like the fools. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Let's then, finish, then let's we're finish having, right there. That, that, yeah, then we're having the conversation of do you trade a quarterback that just won the go Super Bowl? make them be morons for drafting Jordan Love by winning the freaking Super Bowl. In the in the in yes. your walk year. That's right. All right. Good stuff. My thanks to the athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for Mike Sandoz piece and plenty of great other ones. All these baseball pieces too I'm talking about. I'm gonna to start to tweet these out as much as possible because they are inspiration for me on this show. And certainly they push the conversation forward with a lot of these financial, you know, discussions that we've been having over the past few months. Theathletic.com slash spot track get you forty percent off. And of course, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment for you Jordan lovers out there who have been drafted or are about to be drafted or trying to be drafted costs a lot of money to get ready for this kind of stuff. And it costs a lot of money then to get ready for mini camps and live. And, you know, before that signing bonus kicks in and life changes for you, you need help. And that's what Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment is all about. It's ms.com slash GSE. ms.com slash GSE. For Scott and I, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.